This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 8th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Privacy can be important for donors to nonprofits. California didn't quite see it that way. The Supreme Court's Bonta decision rejected the state's claim that it needed donor information from a wide variety of nonprofits. Cato's Trevor Burris provides some analysis of the majority and dissenting opinions and what's likely to come next. What did we know before this case about associational privacy? And uh, I'm going to assume you were not surprised by the outcome here. Well, we knew that the last major decision uh, along these lines was in 1958, and it was called NAACP versus Alabama. And in that case, the state of Alabama was seeking the donor information for the NAACP. Now, of course, in 1958, we have a pretty good idea of the kind of activities that the NAACP was up to in in Alabama and why officials in Alabama may want to get that information. The officials in Alabama claimed, you know, a uh, non-suppressing purpose, right? Like monitoring the charitable fraud kind of situation. But the Supreme Court said, yeah, that's not going to fly here. We don't really believe your uh, explanation for why you want this, and you're, there is a right to associational privacy, uh, even for donations. And that's not terribly controversial. I, the framers would have definitely agreed to this. That the so, for example, the Federalist Papers were written under the pseudonym Publius, and Common Sense by Thomas Paine was published anonymously for the first three months until he had to uh, reveal himself for other reasons. And if someone would have said, "But well, what about the funding of Common Sense, or what about the funding, the printing of Federalist Papers? You know, can those people be private?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, maybe the British would have really liked to have known who funded Common Sense as much as." who wrote it. Uh, And that opportunity to go after speech by going after money is something that repressive regimes have done for a very long time. So yes, so we have this decision in Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Bonta, which you did not surprise me because of the nature of the court, uh, but it's a good decision that gives a lot of teeth to the importance of associational privacy in the matter of donations. And I think that it will get expanded and uh, will go after some very, very silly disclosure rules that exist uh, all over the country now. What were the complaints about what uh, some justices saw as the ultimate decision coming here? It's an interesting dissent. There's parts of Sonia Sotomayor's dissent that are, I think, completely misguided. But as someone who helped the lawyer uh, prepare for this case and the moot courts that we did, we knew that we had to make it clear that the harm that was experienced by the the petitioners, Americans for Prosperity Foundation and Thomas More Law Center, that that harm occurred when the government asked for this information. So it's just for a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, when you raise money in the state of California and pretty much in every state, you nonprofits have to file a form with usually the attorney general's office, but sometimes the secretary of state uh, that just is a, a a pretty standard form, and it's usually not that controversial. But in 2010 and, and up until 2013, the Attorney General Office of California started demanding what's called a Schedule B in addition to everything else, which is a list of your top donors who either gave over 5000 or who gave 2% of your revenue. And what happened when they challenged this is they, they were able to show in trial, this had a trial, which is, makes this case actually quite interesting because most constitutional cases don't have a trial, but they were able to show that A, their donors had been threatened, and B, the information had leaked. So the attorney general's office did not protect the information it had leaked. But here's the, here's the crucial point for the constitutional question. 
it needed to be the case that the constitutional harm was was there, even if nothing ever leaked, that the harm occurs the moment the government asked for it. Because you don't want to be having a decision based on how much, how much leaked and then when does the harm occur. So Justice Sotomayor was arguing, and she was joined by Justices Kagan and Breyer, that the there was no real harm here. They were not burdened at all. Uh, the California had uh, put in new procedures to protect the information that it was wanted to collect so that what, stuff wasn't going to leak. And so the idea of them just filing a form that they file with the IRS and giving it to the AG uh, of California, they said this is not really a harm. And so they said they kind of don't even have a claim was, was their argument. I think it's interesting that this case came down right after ProPublica published a very extensive set of stories about the tax information of some of the wealthiest people on the planet. It is really interesting because it would have been useful at oral argument. I mean, I mean they won, but the the one of the other difficulties with this case, there were two main ones that we were looking at. One was that uh, we would win but not we we didn't want to win narrowly because uh, you could the decision could have been you get donor privacy privacy if you demonstrate actual threats to your donors and you demonstrate leaks. So that would be a very narrow, narrow ruling. Uh, another, the other question, as I said, was like to say that the harm is there even if nothing leaks. And then the, another issue was, what about the IRS? So, so definitely the, the lawyer was asked by the justices, well, the IRS gets the Schedule B and they take it. So are you saying that the IRS doing this is also unconstitutional? And you know, there's a couple options you can say when you're asked that question. You can say, well, that's not this case. Maybe, maybe it is unconstitutional. Or you can say, well, this is a very, very different case. The IRS has more compelling reasons to have this than the state of California. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, and maybe they protect their data better. Except for not, <laughs> obviously they do not protect their data better. Um, so maybe there there will be people probably challenging this on the IRS level. So we'll take another decision to see if it, this applies to the IRS request for this information. How important are chilling effects here? They're notoriously hard to measure. Chief Justice Roberts, of course, said that the privacy is the thing that you're trying to protect. Right? It's it's not what people do after your privacy has been violated. Precisely. It's the, the chilling effects are everything for this. And and I don't think the justices were, you know, they were very aware of, especially in recent years, how much uh, animosity there is in our political conversations and how much if you donated to some group that people didn't like and you could just go onto a website and figure out who you donated to, that this could create huge problems in people's lives. And, and you know, the Americans for Prosperity is connected to the Coke the Koch brothers, the Charles Koch, and um, that makes a lot of people really angry. And as I said, there were actual threats, uh, multiple threats on the record to donors. And so, yes, the chilling effect is profound. And this is the difficulty, right? You see people out there, you know, Twitter after this decision saying, oh, this is a Koch billionaire supporting decision. But like everyone, I mean, right now, conservatives have, you know, they used to talk, the left has been talking about disclosure for a very long time. They Dark money is their favorite word. They love to talk about dark money. And generally, maybe 10 years ago, people on the right were very for anonymous. But now people on the right have been going after donations too, like who's funding Black Lives Matter? Who's funding Planned Parenthood? Is George Soros somehow behind all these nefarious organizations? We need to know who's funding. This is And this is an interest for everyone. It doesn't matter how much money you give or it doesn't matter what you're giving to. If you are in rural Alabama and you and it's a very pro life place and you support planned parenthood you know with a generous contributions or even small ones 
your neighbors might really, really dislike you if they find that out or flip it around and say you're supporting pro-life and you live in Washington, uh, Washington state. You know, this is, these are very, very important concerns. And so I don't want people to know what, uh, political or charitable activities I'm doing, unless it's up to me, I can tell them, I can be like, here's what I support. Uh, but in many instances, I don't want people to know that. And that's fine. That's that's every American's right. Uh, I've received pieces of mail uh, in the past pointing out uh, in the, the elections in which I had voted and pointing out uh, when my neighbors had voted and when they had not voted. And while that information is effectively public, uh, it's still information that is then used by some group to try to influence my behavior with either shaming or I guess letting me know, we know what you, what you've been doing or what you haven't been doing. And I can only imagine if, uh, that information, uh, or if it were broadened to include information about charitable giving. Yes, definitely. Well, that was a, Something pointed out by Chief Justice Roberts in his opinion that if you looked at the amici who were coming in on the side of donor privacy, which included the ACLU, uh, the ACLU's brief was uh, very specific about um, they didn't want it extended to a campaign context, but they said donor privacy is presumed, the NAACP, and also just like a food bank in Wisconsin was was on one brief, and so this was this was a lot of different organizations stretching across the spectrum uh, who were interested in maintaining donor privacy. And just like you, just like you said, Caleb, like your voting record determines a lot of the kind of mail you get and the kind of uh, people who come knock on your door. And that stuff is uh, is quite publicly available. So if you added charitable giving, you know, there's a lot of people who would want this data so they could, you know, put you into an algorithm and target you with a bunch of ads and stuff like this. And if you just don't want that, uh, then you can remain uh, anonymous in this. So it's very important. I mean, the question going forward is how much are we going to expand on this? Uh, this was, a you know, all nonprofits, all charities, about 60,000 charities uh, fundraising in California. But now the question is, is does this opinion apply to sort of election, more election-related speeches, campaigns, stuff like that? Okay. So uh, going forward, what do you expect uh, in terms of either future challenges or pushback? I know that like Charles Schumer, Sheldon Whitehouse, and people like that have been pushing for a lot of laws to if not discourage, and I think Charles Schumer's on the record saying that the chilling effect is one of the benefits mm. of uh, disclosure when it comes to giving to nonprofits. So, what do you expect going forward? Well, it, it's a it, it's opinion in the words of Justice Alito with teeth, where the, the the standard that they applied to this and how much the government needed to meet a justification for this law was is pretty stringent. It's exacting scrutiny. It's not strict scrutiny, whatever that distinction is. But I mean. Right now, there are people going to be filing cases, um, you know, in the coming weeks against certain disclosure rules uh, that are quite ridiculous. Um, ones that I've written about in the past, for example, there was a case called Delaware Strong Families that was on a cert petition and was denied. But in, in Delaware, uh, if you give $25 a year uh, over a four-year period, so it's $100 over a four-year period cumulative, so $25 a year to a C3 or a C4, 
uh, and that C3 or C4 mentions the name of a Delaware candidate for office, then you have to disclose your donors. Uh, so at 25 bucks a year, you'd be on a public uh, record that you give to this organization. And that case was about a C3 that published a voter guide that just said, here are the candidates for Delaware office, and here's what they believe about these issues. It didn't even say you should vote for or against these candidates. It just was a voter guide. And that triggered the disclosure requirements. So if you gave this you know, Christian conservative organization $25 a year for four years, your, your name would be publicly available. That's silly. That is absolutely silly to imagine what possible justification the government could have for this. And they always say, oh, it's because of corruption or the public needs to know who's funding these organizations. Does the public really need to know who's giving an organization $25 a year for four years? I, I do not think that that overcomes the privacy. And in this decision, it'll be applied to these kind of questions. Now, they're different because they're election context. So maybe some courts will narrow it and maybe we'll be back at the Supreme Court about some sort of election disclosure law. But I think if you read this decision, laws like that cannot stand Florida's law if you if you spend one dollar uh, supporting a candidate in not, not a contribution if you spend one dollar of your own money you have to disclose yourself and register with the government these laws are not going to stand and that's a great thing yeah a, a friend of mine years ago especially in the election context where you're making explicit gifts to a campaign for public office there are rationales that are offered that are I, I think quite a bit stronger for uh, making those gifts public than to giving a nonprofit 501c3 money that is prohibited from, one, doing lobbying uh, or engaging in overt politics. Yes. And if you if – you, so independent expenditure is spending your own money on what it's like election speech. In federal law, if you spend $250 of your own money, you also have to register with the government. So you have all these, these laws that you have a state law that's going to be one thing. You have federal laws that are going to be other things. And again, if you've ever done that um, on your own, you just, let's say you want to spend $400 on a little bit of radio time in your local radio saying, um, I think you should vote for Donald Trump in 2024. I think you that you just that's you know it's maybe it's like 10 seconds, um, not a contribution. 10 seconds at 2 a.m. You say, "Hey, I'm Trevor, and I think you should vote for this candidate." Well, you have to register with the government to do that, and that's sort of anathema to the entire First First Amendment. So. You definitely have to ask the government, well, what is, you know, maybe there's a justification at $50,000 or $100,000 of spending, but it's hard to figure out how that justification exists at $250 or $1 or $25. So, so, you know, the baseline here is always the government, the First Amendment means that the presumption is on anonymous speech, is on political speech, and the government has to be the ones who carry the burden to explain why they can burden your speech in that way. It strikes me that the the one group of people that might really dislike this decision are incumbents for political office, uh, people whose name ID is low in their own district. They know how to activate their people and uh, everybody else just sort of goes along not knowing who their member of Congress is. But I can imagine a lot of political incumbents thinking, well, I might have to change my strategy here if suddenly lots of money can enter my race raise my name ID and define me, the incumbent, in a negative way. Oh yeah, that's that's the backstory to 
all these campaign finance laws. I mean, again, the, the, the decision in Americans for Prosperity Foundation is just about all charities and nonprofits, whether they're political or not. But when you get into the political, I mean, it's sort of – it's so blatant that it's a little bit – I wouldn't say a little bit. It's very disheartening if you see sitting – incumbents standing on the floor of the House or the Senate saying, the reason we need to stop this dark money is because they're criticizing me. Essentially just saying like that, like straight up just saying, people are criticizing me and we, we I will use the force of government to expose them, right? Is just, it's absolutely it's it's shameless uh when you really get to the heart of it it's absolutely shameless on half of these half of these politicians they complain about quote unquote dark money groups who make their you know approval ratings go down well this is america that's what if you if you're a politician and you're not getting criticized and you want to shut them up that's why this is not you know that's why this idea that it's money not speech is the one of the biggest canards in all of this discussion because they are shutting down the money because they want to shut down speech. Like imagine if they like dried up the money and then they didn't dry up and then there were fewer ads and fewer billboards. They would be very disappointed. They'd be like, well, we were trying to stop ads and billboards and we thought we could do that with drying up the money, but they're just as many. Like the goal, the goal is censorship and the idea that, oh, we're just going, we're just going after money. It's just it's absurd. And if you read the floor debates during these campaign finance debates, it is evident that it is intentional censorship on par with like the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798, when which just made it explicitly illegal to criticize anyone in the government or bring them into disrepute, except for the vice president, interestingly enough, because it was Thomas Jefferson at the time. You could criticize Thomas Jefferson, but uh, you couldn't criticize John Adams. Though Everyone knows that was unconstitutional. And these attempts to dry up money or make donors disclose themselves in order to stop speech are just as unconstitutional. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.